What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape. A way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where Recess Mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens. Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar. It's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon, letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. A few months ago, I received an email from a high school teacher in Hartwell, Georgia, named Leanne. Leanne explained that she was using true crime to teach a freshman and sophomore course in world literature in a very out-of-the-box way. She was requiring her students to investigate an unsolved local case and develop a podcast episode presenting their findings. In her email, she explained she learned of me from my work with another high school teacher, Alex Campbell, from Elizabethton, Tennessee, on the Redhead Murders case. She asked for any advice I could throw her way. I responded immediately, saying that I and our audio engineer would travel the 11 hours down to Hartwell, Georgia, from our studio in Wabash, Indiana, to help teach her students how to create a true crime podcast. Hartwell, Georgia is east of Atlanta and is pretty much on the border of Georgia and South Carolina. During our two days with the students, we shared what works and what doesn't work and what information they can access on their own online and in person. We started from the beginning of the investigation process and walked them through it. I explained that if detectives will work with them, great. If not, do it anyway. The student's cold case involved a Jane Doe, so I shared my knowledge of Jane Doe cases from my work on the Redhead Murders and our Throwaway series. We taught the students how to create a script based off their investigation. Then Brent taught them how to record, edit, and produce their podcast. The way Leanne designed the assignment 
It counted for half of each student's final grade, so it was a major project for the class, and we felt privileged to be involved. The case she chose for her students was local, but not so close to home that any of them would have a personal connection with it. She ensured from the outset that the victim did not have any relatives at the school. Leanne had a brilliant way of introducing this case to her students, and it'll make you wish you could take a course like this one. Prior to this project, the students had no idea what their assignment was going to be. They didn't even know that it was crime or podcast related. At the beginning of class one morning, she explained they were going outside to hear from a guest speaker. In actuality, a fake crime scene had been created outside that looked like the crime scene where their victim was discovered. When they went outside, they observed a homeless man banging against a dumpster, making the students believe he was trying to tell them something was in the dumpster. Students walked over, and there was a dead body inside. Well, it was an actor, but the students didn't know that. Leanne instructed a student to call 911 to report the body. Unknown to the students, Leanne already arranged the 911 call and police for this reenactment. The 911 operator quickly dispatched police to the location. When police and detectives arrived at the scene, they pulled the body from the dumpster and explained what the evidence found around the body would tell them about the killer and victim. Students had no idea this was all a reenactment until they returned inside and teacher Leanne instructed them to write down everything they saw as a witness to the victim being found. Don't worry, all their parents already knew about the reenactment. Before I left Hartwell, I shared with the students that I would give the winning podcast episode a scholarship of $500 per student. I also asked the students for some of their favorite true crime podcasts, so I reached out to their favorites to ask if they'd help judge the episodes to find a winner. The episode you are about to listen to is from the winning group. They titled their podcast, Murderous Soul. Keep in mind, this was created by high school freshmen and sophomores with no prior background in podcast production. I think they did a great job. Before we play it for you, I'd like to thank the other podcasters who helped us pick a winner. Charlie from Crime Lines, Britt from Crime Junkie, Justin from Generation Y, and Sarah Turney from Voices for Justice. This is Murderous Soul. Valentine's Day of 1988, a day for love and happiness to flow through the brisk day of a small, quiet town. Instead, a darkness-filled alley reeked with a stench so horrid one would never forget. The source? Not an animal, trash, or an accident, but the reality of a figure that laid lifeless, rotting, unnoticed, and hidden in a rusted container. A victim of a murderous soul. The soul would go unknown and remain a mystery. This murder was not just some little small town scandal. What happened was something bigger than the town itself. This was a national attention case that swept the nation off of its feet. A town of about 3,000 where everyone knew everyone. There were many quiet dirt roads and some squeaky porches, nothing much else around. The skies were clear and the area was silent. People thought nothing bad would ever happen in this town. On February 14, 1998, the body was found in the small town of Millen, Georgia, about 90 miles away from Savannah. 
a body in a dumpster off Keezer Road and Old Perkins Road was sent to the police department for investigation. The cause of death? The investigators at the time believed the cause of death was asphyxiation, the process of ripping away the right of oxygen to the body. Asphyxiation is a grueling process and a process only one with a true want to kill can carry out. The victim was unfamiliar to the police as stated before. This town was a town where everyone knew everyone. Odd, odd indeed. The police think that she was a mix of Asian and white descent? Gosh, that's less than 1% of the town's population in Millen, meaning only one or two families in all. Yes, the police do think that, and so the number of people of Asian descent in this town was very, very low. Like you said, barely 1%, so there is a slim chance that she was even from Millen in the first place. Finding where she is from could be such a large stepping stone towards finding her killer, but how do we know for sure if we're right or wrong? We don't want to go off any false leads, so what do we go off of? Looking back at her pictures of what we think she looks like, Asian descent does sound most accurate, but she could still also be a different ethnicity than just Asian. There's just so many out there without hard evidence, it is hard to know for sure. So we could go to the next best thing, personal belongings. So she had some items with her in the dumpster. Things that you wouldn't take on a stroll through the town. These items looked very personalized. They didn't just look like something you'd find at the store, but separating them from similar products that are shipped in and out of different places daily could be troubling. That's where attention to detail comes in. She had some bedding that was light green and embroidered with butterflies. It almost looked like something a young adult or a college student would have. Could these items belong to our beloved Jane Doe? These items are not for sure hers. They could be anyone, from someone in the area to even the killer themselves. You never know. It could have possibly even already been in the dumpster she was found in. But what person that has little care for others would wrap a poor girl in some bedding and leave her there lifeless? That's a good question. Who and why? Let's focus on the who first. Do you think maybe a random trucker could have been the killer of this Jane Doe, considering her location? Well, the bedding that was found with the Jane Doe is not the bedding a trucker would typically have. Also, where the dumpster was located, it would have been hard for just a random trucker to locate, so the killer is most likely not a trucker. I thought that the dumpster was located off the side of the road, though, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. The dumpster was located off the side of the road, but it was hidden. I believe that the killer may have not been local, but they were definitely familiar with the area. How do you think you or different people would go about this case? Because depending on how you go about investigating and solving cases, it can change the entire game. For example, Captain Chris Carroll from the Hart County Sheriff's Office gave his view. First off, I would I would start with documenting this thing as best as possible. Um, taking photographs, I don't know how many photographs were taken in this case, but I would, I would take as many as I could. I would, I would draw out the scene, lay out everything, make sure everything was diagrammed. Hearing that police point of view and really getting that first person insight is really getting the gears of my mind turning. What are your thoughts? Do you disagree, agree, or maybe just not sure in general? Um, I agree with him. It would be good to look through the files and see what's there. To just try and look for anything that they might have missed. Try to put some things together like a big puzzle. It's possible to solve a 30-something-year-old case. 
Something as simple as overlooking a piece of evidence could possibly change everything. Yeah, that's true. When dealing with a crime as big as this, the smallest thing could throw something off. You need to make sure that all your evidence is correct and that you don't forget anything. It seems like the killer covered up a lot of the evidence that would lead to him in the first place. Yes, the killer did leave evidence behind, but obviously not anything that could lead to him. He was a very organized person, so he probably wasn't insane and probably didn't have a mental disability. Usually, killers with mental illnesses try to draw attention to themselves. They wouldn't really care if they got caught. It's kind of the whole point for them. But if it was someone who wasn't mental, they would try and cover it up. Agreed. Adding to that, the killers tend to usually hide bodies in places that they're familiar and comfortable in. They know everything about the place, from the people to the back roads to the exits and the red lights, to even the establishments surrounding the area. They wouldn't just randomly dump a body somewhere where they didn't know where anything was. So, if he had everything planned out, he must have been pretty smart and organized. With smarts and organization comes with an IQ of at 100 or more. Thinking about it, you can't just look at someone and know if they're smart. And without truly knowing people, they can make you think anything. See, that's the thing with killers. They seem normal to people, but they can be real monsters on the inside. So they could be marked off the suspect list just as easy as someone else. If they're around the area a lot and no one knows them, it can make them easier to stay off the radar. Yes, and that's like saying people aren't always as they seem. Actually, some people call this the mask of insanity. Now doesn't that just send a chill down your spine? Yeah, I think the more I think about it, the scarier and real it becomes. This happened to a girl just like me and you, and that's just a scary thought in itself. Everything about this case is tragic, and no one should have to go through this. Jane Doe, a young adult, stripped of her right to live by someone who could still have his. You think it was such delinquency and selfishness enough to leave an unknown family wondering, will she ever return? A case that will forever sweep the world off his feet and leave the unsettling stench of unease. The silence of quiet Millen, Georgia was disrupted by a soul with an unquenched thirst to kill. Although this case has turned cold, the what-if factor still lingers, and the need to solve this burns like wildfire. Why? To renew justice with her name, give back the life she never had, and simply bring light to what's now dim. We've got the facts, the evidence, and the suspects, but with the twists and turns of this case, will we ever find that murderous soul?